Let's pray. Father, as we come to open your word, we ask, Lord, that you would, through your spirit, open our eyes and our hearts to receive. Lord, that we might be blessed and, and encouraged and strengthened in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. going to continue on a focus on the Holy Spirit, <laughs> something that I uh, began sharing a couple of weeks ago, and uh, uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, as, as we've been looking at it, one of the things that we focused on is that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a part of the Godhead is, a, is one term that we use. The term more common to us is the word Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I normally just, you know, as, as an ease for understanding myself, I say God the Father, who has physically revealed in Christ his Son, present everywhere through his Holy Spirit. All three of them individual and yet uniquely one nature. The Holy Spirit is God. And then it tells us very clearly, and we went through this, that the Holy Spirit indwells us at the point of our faith uh, uh, coming into us, at the point of believing, at the point of salvation. The Holy Spirit indwells us to strengthen us, to come alongside us, uh, to, to help uh, be our comforter, uh, to teach us. As we open up the Word, because of the Holy Spirit in us, the Word begins to have new understanding. It's an amazing thing, and, and I know several of you have shared over the years with testimonies, especially if you've come to know the Lord as an adult and, and you've seen uh, new s songs that you've sang forever in the sense of that you've heard, even the, the song Amazing Grace. The, 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 the nation knows Amazing Grace. Uh, I don't know, I would imagine you know, the majority of the people in the United States know at least the first and, and, and last verses. Uh, as well as they know a lot of other songs, even if they have never been to church, because they've seen it at, you know, played at funerals, they've seen it played at different situations, and it's a, a song that becomes somewhat of an anthem uh, that is used even in the secular world. But uh, when I sang it for the first time as a believer, all of a sudden I understood it. Amazing Grace, it was just a phrase. But then with the Holy Spirit in me, amazing grace was something I was beginning to understand. And it made the word amazing all the more amazing. The Holy Spirit comes with a purpose, like I said, the, the, he comes alongside us as the helper, the comforter, the teacher, so many parts of it. But the thing that we focused on uh, last week is that he comes along side us in the sense uh, to convict the world of sin, convict the world of righteousness, to convict the world of judgment. 
the scriptures that I used uh, were uh, from John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8. And uh, just repeat them there this morning as a way of review. Paul, uh, or John writes, Nevertheless, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, I tell you the truth. It is not to your advantage, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Important thing you grasp out of that is that by Christ leaving, he says, I'm going to send the helper to you. The you is extremely important here. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the apostles. And ultimately, as we see through the, the, the uh, chapters 16 and 17, uh, as well as he's speaking on to the church in the future. But he's speaking to those who have already come into a relationship with him. To you, he's speaking to the apostles. And when he comes, even though it doesn't say this here, when he comes, to whom? To you, the apostles. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The reason why I want you to understand that is that he convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment by working through the church. It becomes our testimony, our witness to what God is doing in our life, what he has done in our life, how he has saved us, that becomes the testimony to the church. They hear the word of God you know, uh, coming from someone who is sharing it with them. And when God opens their eyes, then it comes to a, a point where they begin to grasp it and understand it. The Holy Spirit then has con come to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He will do this through the church. If that is the case, then who must be convicted first of sin, righteousness, and judgment? Us. The Holy Spirit indwelling in us, in every believer, is in the process of transforming us, renewing our minds, causing us to see God's righteousness, his holiness, to understand our sinfulness, the lack of righteousness and holiness, and the need for a Savior who is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who took our place in judgment you see, that's the next thing we come as we understand the, the, and convicted about God's holiness and our lack of holiness, our sinfulness, and the need for a Savior. We realize we cannot what? Save ourselves. We are due a judgment to come on us. We deserve it. But Jesus takes our place, takes our judgment for us on the cross, nails it to the cross. He settles our account with God. He calls us to rest in his finished work of salvation. We are saved. I emphasize that we are saved. Um, these are familiar verses for you out of Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Important that we have that in place as we begin 
this morning because the verse that I'm going to share you with this morning would have seemed to be a contradiction to that if we don't hold on to that first. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul says to the Philippians, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out your own salvation. There's got to be a question that automatically comes here if this is the first time you would read this, and I'm sure that many of you have wrestled with this before. If God has already saved me, then how do we work out our salvation? Which is it? Is my salvation the sovereign act of God, or is it something that I have to do for myself? Well, I just read you a scripture that says, you can't do it for yourself, it's by faith, and even that a gift from God that accomplishes the salvation in you. And so it's a sovereign act of God, and as we look at this, yet Paul is saying there's some kind of involvement that we are to come into with this, that he would use this context, this phrase, work out your salvation. So as we approach this verse, keep this in mind. God has saved us. We are justified. Eternal life is what we have in him. However, now through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, there is a process going on. How many of us can complain, can claim, I was going to say complain, we could complain about it too. How many of us can claim that we have a perfect life in the sense of no sin? And we all know the answer to that. Okay? There is something that's going on when we look at it. We're saved, we're justified, we have eternal life. And yet, I'm struggling with sin. It's a rather serious frustration. We are in the process, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us, of being transformed, having our minds renewed. There's another word would be sanctified. He is causing us to become what God has pronounced us as in Christ already. God has pronounced us because of what Christ nailed to the cross, our judgment. We are holy as he is holy in Christ. And he is causing that to become the reality in us now. Because of the Holy Spirit in us, there's a side of us also that turns around and says we want to be cooperative. There's a desire in our, our spirit to say we want to have the Holy Spirit reign in our lives. From God's infinite perspective, the one who sees the end from the beginning, he sees it as accomplished in Christ. From our finite perspective, the end is far off. Eternity is, is the future. 
We're already saved and justified, but, well, we're not yet in a world free from sin and suffering. That is yet to come. New heaven, new earth. So now, as believers, we live in a fallen world, in a flesh that is not uh, the flesh that God has promised us. We have, all of us been promised a resurrection, of, uh, a resurrected body. I look around and I think of the number of us that have, have had ongoing injuries and surgeries and things just to keep this wearing out flesh going. And I think of the phrase in, in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where he, Paul calls uh, his, his, the flesh a tent. You know, and, 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 it's, and it's a tent. And it reminds me of that picture uh, for me. Uh, I'll never forget this. Uh, camping in, in with my, my uh, family as a kid, and the old umbrella in the center of the tent, canvas tent, you know, everything has to be laid out and things, and the umbrella goes in and it goes up like that, and all of a sudden you hear, and there's a rip. And immediately, my dad goes to his camping kit, and he pulls out a very special patch kit, because in it is a piece of canvas that's already been shrunk, that he sews onto that. Because if he doesn't, if he puts a piece of new canvas on there and then it rains and then it shrinks, it'll tear again in the same spot because it will pull it tight and, and, and tear it. What's happening is, is that tent is getting frail. I don't know how long that tent lasted because it, I, it, was, it was part of what was going on as long as I can remember. And my aunt and uncle had one and when we ever went camping, and, and, and he'd gone camping, I saw pictures of it with his kids. It went for a long period of time. But the one thing I noticed, especially with my aunt and uncles, was there was a whole bunch of patches. The other thing I can remember is when it was raining. You, you know, a seven-year-old kid. <laughs> Don't touch the tent, it will leak. Ooh. <laughs> Less than ideal. Okay? Paul equates our body. Paul was a tent maker. He equates our bodies as tents because he wants us to see the frailty and the temporariness of them. And he tells us that we're going to put, you know, receive a new home, a new body that is permanent, that has no relationship to this old body in the sense of frailty, disease. Suffering, pain, decay. Keenly aware of decay. I had a cavity fall out the other day. I haven't had it fixed yet. And I realized that just decay is, is, is something that's just part of what goes on. The body can, has been doing it for a long time. So I live in a sinful world. I live in... I'm going to call it fallen flesh, and yet I am redeemed, I am justified, and I, am, I have eternal life sewed up in Christ because he nailed my sins, my judgment, my punishment to the cross. So as I'm working things out, that's what we're starting to talk about here. As I'm walking through this life, there is a battle that's going on. And it's between the flesh 
what it wants. And my spirit, as I look at Christ and look at the Holy Spirit in me, knowing the Holy Spirit, and as I see the word of God through the Holy Spirit leading me, what the spirit wants. I battle with this, as do all of us. In Galatians chapter 5, I'll just I'll read it to you quickly here, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. There's a battle going on. And so I write here, how is it possible? How am I going to win this battle? And I recall what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. Wretched man that I am, what hope do I have but in Christ Jesus, my Lord? Who will deliver me? us from this, this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit has come into me. There is a process of transforming, renewing, sanctifying that is going on and he has invited us, God has invited us to participate in this in the sense of wanting to pursue it. Why don't we just pursue it perfectly? Well, again, because we're tied into this old flesh, and it combats us. But there is a sense of victory that builds in you as you walk in the Lord, submitting to the Holy Spirit, and not allowing sin to be the avenue you want to travel that you choose to travel. I have met people who say, as Christians, they, they, they make this statement, I'm only human. I'm in the flesh. Sin's going to happen. God knows it. I know it. You know it. So what's the big deal? Paul makes a big deal out of it. Colossians, Ephesians, other places, he says, put off. And he talks about the things of the world and the flesh. And put on the things of the spirit. Over and over he repeats these things. Put on malice and uh, put off malice and put on a gentleness of heart that speaks kindly. And this is where I challenge people. Take the last months, years, <laughs> decades, uh, and, and, and create for yourself that picture of a timeline. Can you see where God has changed things in you over a season and period of time where you are not the person you were before? I'm not saying that you're perfect. That's not what we're talking about. But can you see where you have had a sense of victory in some parts of your life because God is there? If nothing more, does reading the word open up to you? I can tell you, I read the scriptures before I was a believer. It was required reading in at least three courses I had in a secular college. Wisdom literature, comparative religions, and, and then the uh, looking at 
the impact of the Bible on the Western civilization and, and a special course in reference to Western civilization and, and, and the biblical impact and, and having to read portions of it there. Required reading. I read the things that, that, that talked about. I had friends who were believers who told me they actually read Ephesians to me. You're saved by grace, not by works, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But as a believer, all of those things started to take on new meaning. Some transitions began to happen. A transformation began in me. The desire to seek what is righteous became a driving force. And the interesting thing was is that when I stopped doing that, you know what happens? I feel conviction. A conviction of what? Sin, righteousness, judgment. <laughs> and not judgment because now I am judged, because I still rest in an absolute promise that that's been covered. But in the sense of what I deserve because of a sinner, I'm supposed to be turning away from this. Where does that conviction come from? It becomes from the Holy Spirit who is transforming, renewing my mind. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't give a darn if I weren't a believer. And so there is something happening. When you start to become convicted about what sin is and what and suffering and pain and looking for answers, the Holy Spirit is at work on you. I want to take a little bit closer look at the context here of Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, because it's really broader than just a couple of verses. I mean, sometimes you just hear the one verse, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. People look around with that and say, this is up to you. It's all in your hands. But the very next verse tells us, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This first ain't going to happen without the second being true. <laughs> okay, so right off we see that this isn't something I do in my own strength. This is something that God is in charge of and working in me to accomplish but there is, a, in a sense, an invitation for me to join in the process. And when you take this overall picture of, 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 of the context here, it would drive you, take you actually clear back to chapter 1, verse 27, and, and take you all the way through to verse 18. And what is happening here uh, is, is that Paul is asking them, you know, to... to uh, let their lives be you know, a, a walk, if you will, something that is visible, that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, something that you're working at, driving for so that people can see it. Striving, and you notice it says in, in verse 27, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's very important. This working out our salvation, this isn't this something that's, that's, that's done all by yourself either. 
in a sense of, of, of alone, just you and the Holy God has put us together as a fellowship for the purposes of working this out, for bringing this together. Why? Well, in Hebrews it tells us to not forsake the fellowship because we're to come al alongside each other and encourage one another. We're told in Ephesians, Colossians, that as we come together that we're going to encourage one another, have words of encouragement for one another, and that we will sing songs and hymns and, and, and spiritual songs together to encourage one another to seek the face of God and to walk with the Lord. We're told very specifically by Jesus, if we see someone who's in sin, come alongside them and talk to them about it. Not because we're coming from perfection, but because we're coming alongside so that we can help. Possibly because we're struggling with the exact same thing. Or maybe something that we have struggled with. But we come alongside each other. Paul tells us in chapter 2 very clearly here in the beginning part of it that we are to have the mind of Christ. I'm thinking, that's a, a little bit more than I can comprehend. What is he trying to tell me here? He's trying to tell me that Christ has set an example for me to see something that he wants to see happening in me. What is the mind of Christ when it's revealed to us? What, what do we see? The thing that Paul wants us to see is in the mind of Christ, he wants us to see Christ's humility. If anybody deserves recognition for anything, certainly Christ is at the top of the list. Period. When he appeared on earth, the fact that he would appear in the flesh in the first place is a humility, a humbling. But as he appears to us, he not only, I mean, what should have happened, I can think of the, 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 the children's musical, um, I, uh, it, all I can remember is the song, that the key, one of the key songs is I have eye trouble, me, myself, and eye trouble. But, but the idea was in the presentation was that heaven was, was, was amazed at God's plan unfolding. And they were thinking, well, I would have done it, you know, uh, and as from kids' perspective, well, maybe it would have been better if he came as a rock star, you know, or maybe it would have been better if he came as a general, or maybe it would have been better if he came as, as, as a king of a nation or, or, you know, an emperor or something like that. How did he come? He came as a humble man, a servant to man. That's what Paul tells us in, in 5, 6, 7, 8, along there. He came as a servant to man. Not only as a servant to man, but ultimately the servant who would die for man on the cross. That's a sacrificial relationship. It is a relationship that gives up your rights, if you will. Jesus emptied himself, set his rights aside. He deserved the second that he, he, he was you know, here on earth, and, and, and this is all that should have happened if you want what's deserved in the sense of the immediate worship and submission. Instead, he had to take up and run for his life via his parents because Herod was pursuing him to kill him as an infant, as a child. He humbled himself as a man 
even a servant of men. Pictured for us as a foot washer, just prior to the Last Supper. Gave up his rights. Okay, I'm to have this mind in me that I would give up my rights so that other people might be blessed and encouraged to walk with Christ. I'm to give up my rights to bless and encourage my wife. We're, men, we're told love our, our wives as who? Christ. How did he love his bride, the church, and gave himself up for her? I'm to come alongside my wife and try to create an environment, whatever it takes from my side, to allow her to become everything God wants her to be. I'm lousy at this, by the way. I'm not obtained it. But I know in my heart that's what I want to do. And every now and then something happens right. Because I have yielded. The Holy Spirit is working in me. And it comes together. And I realize it. And I see it. And Kathy realizes it. And she sees it too. You know, and, and we share together the awesomeness of realizing that God is changing us both. We are not the husband and wife we were 40, almost 44 years ago when we started in marriage. God is working in us. So how do I win this battle? Well, I don't know that win is the right way to look at it. But the, the reality is, is that I learn to rest in what Christ has done already. I'm not going to save myself. I'm not going to be able to add anything to my salvation. What I want is a desire to see Christ and what he's done and respond to that with the idea of I, that's my example. I want to have the mind of Christ towards everybody God brings me in contact with. We're told this is true humility if you think about it. We start by loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind, all our strength. That's a humility because it realizes that we need God and he's over us. And we begin to worship the God of all creation because of what he's done for us. Saved. We love him for what he's, you know, who he is and what he's done. And as we realize that, it says that needs to transcend and start to become something you do with who? Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, and this is going to be especially obvious in the church. In John chapter 13, he says, people are going to know who you are by the way you Love one another. The fruit of the Spirit is love, <laughs> gentleness, kindness, patience. Paul makes it clear in Philippians chapter 3, and this isn't an, to give us a release or an excuse, but the reality as we struggle with this. I look at Paul as, you know, I, I can't help it. I, there's a part of me that looks at him as the sp a spiritual giant. I mean, look at all that he did. 
for for God and 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 his sacrificial life that he that he gave. He certainly has went through a lot more than I have ever gone through or likely will go through uh, in 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 possibly one ministry of his as far as suffering and pain than I've had in my whole life. And so I tend to 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 put him up here. But he makes it very clear in Philippians chapter 3 that he says, uh, I can, I'm like you. I can see what God, I'm paraphrasing. I can see what God wants. I'm striving for the same goal, but I have not arrived. But, and then he says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Working out our salvation. Becoming what God has pronounced us as. So I, I kind of bring this together with this idea. What has God done? Well, he saved us. He's justified us. He has covered our sins. And not just covered them, but I mean he's He's paid in full the penalty, nailed to the cross. God has given us his word, and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the guide, the teacher, to see it, to understand it, and to bring application from it. And even in God's sovereignty, he allows the circumstances of life to draw me to him. In Romans chapter 5, Familiar verses, but I just share them with you this morning. Romans chapter 5, start with uh, verse 3. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So even in circumstances that cause pain, suffering, trial, tribulation, God is saying, through the Holy Spirit and the love that I have poured into you, even this will be applied to causing you to grow in him. To me, that just brings that confirmation to Romans 8.28. All things work together for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus. Do we believe that? I, I, I wrestle with it a lot, I have to confess. But when I get to sitting down, and, and, and especially on those days where I, I, I would sit down, but I might not get up, uh, that I would, I would I'll sit down and I'm in a little bit of a pity party mood. And I'm thinking, woe is me. Look at this, look at that. I didn't plan on this, I didn't plan on that. The garbage disposal is broken, I've got to replace it. <laughs> I just threw that in because it's true, but I have bought the garbage disposal. It's ready, ready to go. Um, and I think, you know, kind of like, what else, you know, kind of like, what else can go wrong today? <laughs> and then something else actually does, and you say, oh, there goes the other shoe. I mean, we have so many excuses and, 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 and words and phrases for all of these things. The bottom line is, is that 
do I really believe what I just read with you? Out of Romans, both of the sets of verses, out of five and out of eight. Yes, in my spirit, in my heart, I have come to the point where I believe that. You know why? Because Holy Spirit's renewing my mind, transforming the way I think. I would never have bought that 30 years ago. Well, a little more than that, but almost 40 years ago now. But it's that transforming that's going on. I, I, once I sit down and start to think about it and recognize what God has done, and I say, no, this is who I am. I am a son of God resting in his grace. I've been justified before the throne of God. I am in a pleased relationship with him because of what Christ has done. And as a result, I know that even this God will use to bring about my walking closer to him and possibly drawing someone else alongside with me. I wrote down here, I need to rest with confidence in Christ, his grace. I see that in Romans 8, 1, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. His assurance that he gives us, Romans 8, 31 through 39, that nothing ultimately is going to separate us from his love. Yet in the process of going through this, I know that I am in a battle. Ephesians chapter 6 Verses 10 through 13 talks about putting on the armor of God because we are in a battle, a spiritual battle. As a result, we need our head protected, our chest protected, our legs protected, uh, our feet protected. Uh, we need the shield of faith and we need the sword of the word uh, to, to be uh, uh, with us because we are in a spiritual battle, a battle between the spirit and the flesh. So I put down here, I know it's a battle. It is a real battle. My sins, my failures are frequent. But God's grace is complete. Because even when I fail, even when I fall short, all that puts in me is a sadness and a, and a sorrow because I am less than what God wants me to be. Where does that come from in me? The Holy Spirit. The desire to seek his face in the midst of that is to ask God to forgive me. And I have the confidence because of what he gave John uh, to write to us in First John chapter 1. I will confess my sins. He is faithful, just to forgive me. Sure. Tells me in chapter 2 of 1 John. If, yeah, he says, I write these things to you, children, that you might not sin. And then he turns right around and says, and if you do, and, 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 and he says that we say there is no sin in us, we're a liar. So, you know, if you do sin, uh, when you sin, remember your advocate, your lawyer is Christ Jesus.
I share this with you because we are supposed to be in a process collectively together helping one another to draw close to God. It is the reason we are together as a fellowship, to encourage one another, build up one another, minister to one another, and when necessary, sacrifice for one another in order that we will all stay on the path of seeking the face of God and his holiness. Not with any condemnation towards each other, not with judgment towards each other, but with grace and mercy and kindness and gentleness, the love of God working in us. God's grace is complete. And you know, the, the, one of the, the most exciting verses of all, it's, it's such a short verse, but in Philippians 1.6, he says, God is, is going to what? Complete the work he has started. He's going to complete it. We can rest with confidence in that. He is going to complete it. All of this because Christ and Christ alone, God in the flesh, died on the cross, literally, physically, died on the cross. From the cross, he spoke the words, it is finished. He was buried and raised on the third day. All of this was done to open the kingdom of God to all who are called and will believe and, and, and that we can see eternity and in the process grow in our relationship with him through the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us and the encouragement of a body of believers coming together. He came in the flesh, literally. He poured out his blood, literally. He died on the cross, literally. He was put into the grave. Three days later, the tomb was empty. The only reason why the stone was rolled away, and I know we've shared this many times, wasn't for Jesus to get out. It was for us to see him and have that confidence. We, we, we worship a risen Savior who has promised us that we will share with him an eternal life with a resurrected body and a new heaven and a new earth. I'd ask the ushers to come forward to... Uh, Bring uh, to pass the communion out to each of us. Uh, hold the communion until we've all been served. And we'll share it together.
Father, we come to your table this morning rejoicing in the grace that you have poured out, but yet having that opportunity to reflect the reality that we have fallen short of your glory, of your holiness. We confess, Lord, our sins to you with a confidence of the grace that you have poured out, the finished work on the cross, that we are forgiven. Thank you. Prepare us, Lord, to, to share in this together. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, we are told in the gospel as well as by Paul in 1 Corinthians that he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and passed it to the disciples. And he gave them this picture. This is my body broken for you. And he asked us as often as we would eat this together that we would do it in remembrance of him. And if that weren't humble enough in the sense that the God of all creation would come literally in the flesh, in a flesh that could be executed and, and, and killed, he went all the way for us. He poured out his blood to purchase the covenant of grace. That's what he told them at the, at the Last Supper. He took the cup of wine and said, this represents my blood poured out for you to purchase the covenant, referring to the covenant of grace. And he asked us to do this as often as we did in remembrance of him until he comes again. Father, again, saying thank you. And asking that, that as we share in communion that that reality would always always, always sink in and carry with us. The God of all creation loves us so. He emptied himself. He became a man. A servant to man. Even to the point of the cross. Nailing our sins to the cross that we might enter into the kingdom of God, have eternal life, and even now have that reality of, of, of having the wonder and the awe of, of drawing closer to you, knowing you more and moving further away from the world in a sense of our, who we are, not conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. Lord, we ask that you would continue to do that in us and encourage us with each other's help and, and encouragement to do this and to stay with it and to walk close to you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Give us that inner power and desire Lord, the desire to desire you more, the, 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 the want to want you more, taking from A.W. Tozer's prayer, Lord. Thank you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.